Previously on the Civic Tech in Africa podcast. In today's episode, we are talking to Philip Kichana. You are right in the sense that uh, sometimes, and most of the times really, the information you get from parliament would uh, mostly be very picky. For example, you look at a legislation, the, the smallest one I can pages, and the biggest one you can find, it goes to 250 pages. So that's a lot of information for the public to take in. Yes. So what we do is, is just analyze. We look at the most important parts of the legislation. We capture we capture those ones and we 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 are able to for example just do a, a brief summary to listen to this episode and more find the civic tech in africa podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts this podcast is brought to you by civic tech innovation network in partnership with voice of vids hello everybody just a quick note on today's episode the podcast does start quite in the middle uh, because we uh, lost some of that um, recording. Um, but I think there are valuable lessons uh, in this episode. Uh, so I hope that you do enjoy. Hello, everybody. This is the Civic Tech in Africa podcast. Welcome. My name is Natim Kregua and I'm your host. We are so happy that you have joined us once again. I'm very excited about today's episode as we feature one of the more enduring, very influential and very inspirational civic tech tools we've seen on the African continent. This is a platform that is empowering communities the world over to advance social change through accessible tech solutions. In many ways, we have been discussing this on, the, on this podcast for some time now. The idea of accessibility as a primary concern for civic tech developers, and it's something I would love to touch on today. In this episode, we're talking to Daniel Odongo from Ushahidi. Daniel is the Director of Implementation at Ushahidi. Ushahidi is a platform that helps communities turn information into action with an intuitive and accessible crowdsourcing and mapping tool. Today, we talk to them about their development and growth in civic tech in Africa and across the world. I mean, for me, what I'm seeing here is that it's really good. Crisis does give you the opportunity to develop with the people in which that, that are in crisis. So co-developing with people is, for me, such a great idea because sometimes people do develop these big tech tools but without the understanding of what the people actually want. Developing in crisis allows you to go, what's available right now? And what's the easiest tool that people can use? And, and so that sort of, Ushahidi was sort of, sort of developed in, in that context, right? What's the easiest thing for people to do right now for us to be able to, am I, am I right in, in this assertion? Yes, uh, very, very correct, I mean, to, to say that. And, uh, out there, I think we, we have gotten into a trend where we just, you know, replicate tools that have been developed for contexts. But here in Africa, we understand the challenges that we have. And some of the challenges I can speak to is uh, a big demographic that still use smartphones, for example. And despite increasing uh, access of smartphones and the penetration of that across the continent, and what tools can they use to be able to raise their voices around the issues that concern them? And how do those issues get to decision makers? And Ushaidi that kind of help that to, to to take place in the communities. Right. And, and I, I want to speak to you and, and maybe we'll just step away from Ushahidi for a little bit and talk about some developers right now. And I, and I don't know if you, you can speak to this with authority, but what would you say as somebody who's developing a tool right now uh, for, you know, their country in, in Benin, in Nigeria and in Ethiopia, 
what is the main thing that they need to be thinking about as soon as they start developing a tool? So I think the first thing I would advise someone who is developing a tool for the for the for the community is to step away from your desk and actually go to the communities. Right. Uh, it would be really good for you to go and, and and try to validate the hypothesis that you have and also build new hypotheses based off the views of people. So problem and then understand the scale, the scope of this problem. And uh, once once you have that figured out, it's very essential for you to then use that sort of like as a blueprint to inform the development that you're going to be doing. Uh, that that addition is 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 what changes everything. It's what the acceptability of your solution later on, uh, and it's also good to constantly go back to them even during the process when you're doing. Uh, do do not test with a, a bunch of people who you know are already familiar with the technology of building yes. or who are within your closest proximity. So go back to the people and test with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, say so. I asked you questions earlier, but this is what I've come up with. And by testing, sometimes it doesn't have to be a fully built-up solution, even a prototype of it, a paper-based. You know, these are some of the ways in which you could get you know early feedback from these communities. And and yeah, feedback is a gift. Like I like to tell people. So go collect that gift from the people who you're building for regularly. Now, l- l- let me talk about, so so there's people who say, you know, I'm developing this tool and it's so difficult for me now to go to people in communities, in the villages and then test this out because perhaps I don't have funding to travel all that way. And there's a lot of uh, people who are developing tools right now who can say my challenge is funding. And I don't know how to develop this tool in, in in a way that is, you know, workable for everybody because I cannot afford to go to, you know, a village in, in Kenya, for instance. I mean, what, what do you have to say to that? Yeah, f- funding is a challenge that will always exist. I mean, even the biggest companies we hear about are still, you know, trying to fundraise. Mm-hmm. And what am I trying to say is that it will never be enough. Uh, and it's best to start with what you have and where you are. Uh, right. That's why I like to share with my my innovator friends and colleagues that uh, some of the some of the things that complicate the development process are all in our minds. And mm. usually, I think if you try to uh, break down to the most minimum viable product or form of the development that you you put across, uh, I think it would really help you to to use that and test it in a community, uh, and you will be able to see that. It's not that complicated. Sometimes a paper-based version of a product, before you need to invest developer hours, before you need to invest resources into more complicated design, a paper-based version of a product usually helps people to understand what you're trying to build. And that early prototype that you build is what you can essentially take around to funders. So Mm. funders usually want to see that you you have actually put in some effort of your own. So it's very hard to find someone who is going to inject capital or investment into your solution, even when you've not tested it out or even validated the challenge. Right. So I think for me, my, my, my call to action would be, you know, if you're trying to build something, uh, get the most mi- minimum viable form of it and go test it out, look at what traction might look like. And once you've validated the problem and coupled with, you know, this early feedback, then you can once start to look for support to then, you know, improve on what you have, what you have started initially. 
So, so I think a, that's a beautiful. So the development of a tool really isn't just a, I have developed this. It's, it's, it's an ongoing tool. So I imagine even people who've developed a tool and it's been in existence for many years are still tweaking the tools as they go along because they're testing it out, right? Yes, that's true. And so I think that's sort of the, for me, the, the takeaway there that like you don't have to have the final product right at the beginning, perhaps just, you know, test it out uh, as it goes, it goes along. Just stepping back now to Ushahidi, Ushahidi has sort of expanded. It started in Kenya and expanded to other countries. Do you know what the inspiration uh, behind, you know, let's go to other places. We've tested this out. When, when did you then decide to go like, OK, this is enough. We've, we've done a lot here in Kenya. How do we then develop it and, and go further in, into the world? So I think the most one of the most interesting things about you know around the world for, for detailed context, we we've seen the platform developed in over 160 countries. Mm. And one one of the things that has driven that is the idea that we give power back to the people, we give power back to the communities uh, that are trying to use Oshahidi. And one of the ways in which we've done this, for example, is to make the code open source. Mm. Despite the fact that we built this really nice tool and innovation that has been tested, you know, in Kenya and in other countries around the world, we did not use it to the ecosystem. So we said, you know, we we do not communities out there that want to use this tool. The code is available on Git. Go and you know take that code and do with it what you want to do. And this has been one of the ways in which we've seen, you know. Uh, community organizers and organizations around the world take the tool and use it for their contexts. Right. Another thing that we did was also to be very rational. Uh, talking about accessibility, one of the things that we've looked at is which, uh, in how many languages can you use Ushahid? Mm. Uh, our team is not multilingual Okay, to, to that extent. We are just a couple of people in maybe around seven to eight countries around the world, so our distribution. And our team is pretty small, maybe about just over a dozen uh, full-time staff. Right. Then we say that we understand this limitation. How do we make sure that language does not become a barrier because of our limitation to be able to appeal it? And even the language options within Ushahidi are open source. So you go to Transifex, which is the tool that we use for translation. And even you in your village in South Africa can start translating, you know, uh, Ushahidi maybe into Zosa. And when you achieve a of translation, available for all in Zosa. So this is some of the so this is some of the, the ways which we've, we've you know been able to spread the reach for the platform. And another thing don't don't take for granted is you know the fact that we keep highlighting those who have been able to successfully employ Ushahidi. So this has led viral effects where you know if a person in Kenya has used it, if a person in USA has been able to use it, if someone has been able to use it, someone in South Africa has been able to use it, let's shout out to the rest of the world and mm -hmm. talk about the good work that we're doing. And that has also encouraged more people to, you know, take up deployments of OD. And this has sort of increased our reach. Mm -hmm. And speaking of reach, I know that in your theory of change, you spoken about your goal of reaching 20 million more voices by 2026. You've spoken about the importance of partnerships there. Can you tell me about that, that sort of the importance of partners who've then spread out, expanded the use of Ushahidi over the years? Can you tell me about those and, and sort of the future partners that you're looking to work with to expand the, the impact uh, and the effects of, of, of the platform? Perfect. I mean, uh, it's a good thing you've referenced our theory of change. And for, for listeners who might be wanting to find this document, it's available on our website, 
uh, and our strategic plan is also articulated in there. And between 22 and 2026, as you've mentioned, we're trying to reach 20 million communities and raise their voices and ensure that decisions that are being made reflect their needs. Mm. And as uh, strategically, we feel that we can't do this on our own. So partnerships is definitely a very strong approach to that. And our direction to finding these partners, first of all, is making sure that they are like-minded, that there is a synergy within the work that we do, and we have the shared goodwill to enable marginalized communities their voices. Some we've been successfully undertaking in, in different communities. So we find sort of uh, focus areas. And for now, we are looking at good governance, a very, good governance as a very strategic area. It also, you know, it's sort of borrowed from our origins in enabling uh, people in, in election monitoring to be able to adequately use the tool or in situations related to that, uh, which enable transparency and accountability. But then we also look at other focus areas, like I mentioned, uh, climate action, which is something pretty, uh, pretty much affecting the whole world right now. Mm -hmm. And an example that, that we had is last year, we went out into Tana River, which is a, a, very, uh, a very marginalized community in Kenya because it's very far from the capital. But also they find themselves in a situation where it, it, it had not, they are experiencing their worst drought in about 40 years. And we worked with partners like World Vision in this case, who already had a ground presence within this community to be able to get their voices and try to make sure that decisions around climate action plans in that particular county are made in a way that they reflect the needs of the people. So one of the easiest ways for us to work out partnerships is to you know, find out uh, the demographic we want to support and then sort of do a mapping of, so who is the influential partner within this community? How do we work with them? And that's just one approach where we go out. But in many cases, because of what partners really know about Shahidi and our capabilities, many of these partners also come to us when they want to be able to collect such, such information and link these people to you know policy making in their favor or decision making that reflects their needs. So the other ways that organizations can also come to us and we, we figure out partnerships and aligned to deploy that tool for those communities. Right. So I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a two-way approach, but our doors are always open to all organizations, even grassroots organizations who may have limited budgets. We still make sure that there's a way for us to collaborate to make sure that, you know, you are enabling your communities participate effectively uh, in their societies. Right. We will put up uh, on our show notes in the description of, of, of this episode uh, how people can get in touch if they want to partner up uh, with Ushahidi. I think something we've skipped over is some of this, you know, the, the, the ways in which the platform works, right? And I know you, you guys have mentioned how it works in, in four steps. And can you just tell me a little bit about how the platform itself works? I mean, the, the very granular details of it, because I know you have four steps, like right? the gather, the manage, the analyze, and the act. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So I think one of the first steps that we, we undertake is to, you know, uh, co-create these surveys with communities. So if it's a community, for example, that is uh, looking to uh, express themselves fully in the decision-making process around maybe climate action, uh, one of the ways in which we do it, go first of all to the community and co-create the survey. So what language works best for you? Uh, and language is not only language as we know it, but language is the tonality of the questions uh, should be able to fit the context 
but also we open up various channels, you know, to to enable them submit these these reports. And it could be photos, it could be text, it could be videos, uh, and some of the channels that they're able to use, uh, you know, some of the tools. Africa is always known to be mobile first. So SMS, which is, you know, one of the most efficient uh, ways for, for communities to share, they require an internet connection. Uh, this is one of the ways which could share your voice around a certain topic. But also we tap into social media listening uh, and look at conversations, for example, on Twitter around a certain subject. So if we provide a hashtag, any report along that hashtag will be received into the Wushahidi platform. Mm-hmm. Other channels we've tapped into, uh, and even our mobile applications, which are offline capable, I should mention, uh, allow you to share reports to, to a particular deployment of Wushahidi. And what this does is give you a comprehensive picture of the events, the issues, or the incidents that are taking place in real time. Once that information gets onto the platform, there are various workflows, you know, to ensure that it's information to uh, the cause that you stand up for. Some of these workflows include verification, structuring, analysis, and this essentially enables the information that is being handed over to, to the stakeholders or even just the community leaders is something that's representative and makes sense to them and can be actually used in decision making. And by using our mapping technology, we also provide spatial context. So you're able to visualize the incidents, the patterns, and the trends of information. And by presenting this information to, to the stakeholders, they're able to understand you know, the patterns around what's happening and the impact actually of the events that take place. So yeah, in, in a nutshell, this is what we avail our communities able to uh, collect information. And it's quite scalable for mm. the needs of different communities and organizations. Now, could you just tell me a little bit about, um, you know, in, in your many years of existence, I'm sure there are so many stories you, you'd want to share around the impact that this tool is able to uh, has been able to to make uh, are there any stories that stand out to you in, in the last couple of years that you would like to share with, with our community yes uh quite a number of stories like i mentioned there are currently over 200,000 deployments of Shahidi around the world and each of those deployments is a story of impact mm. i'll start within the context of south africa since you you're located there so uh, there's a time when there was, uh, a couple of years ago, there were so many incidents of uh, xenophobia that were breaking out in South Africa. Right. And wh- one of our partners in South Africa, it was actually University of Whitewater's run, who came out to start a project called Xenowatch. And essentially they were encouraging South Africans to report incidents of xenophobia in their communities, uh, incidents that could be driving xenophobia in their communities. Uh, but also they were taking a, a step back to trace at the roots of xenophobia. So you are tracing them decades before to see incidents of xenophobia that they could, you know, map out on the Oshahidi deployment to be able to tell the extent of this challenge and possibly even see, so where did it actually start? And over the years, we've worked with, with uh, the Xeno, Xeno Watch project in South Africa to be able to document these incidents. And it's, it's very interesting they are putting out research First of all, to inform you know some of the local actions about how to counter xenophobia in South Africa. Uh, going all the way, I have been sharing you know about Kenya where we began. Uh, immediately after the Kenya election, of course, uh, there had been so many lives lost already, and one of the commitments we made is this should not happen again. Right. And Ushahidi's contribution to that was to be able to 
uh, set up an Ushahidi deployment in every election to try to encourage transparency in the election, accountability in the election, but also to ensure that marginalized voices are, you know, are listened to and heard during every Kenyan election. And ever since then, we have had five deployments of Ushahidi in an initiative that we call Uchaguzi. Uh, and Uchaguzi essentially is one that we work with several partners. In the last Kenyan election, we had about 20 partners we were working with, uh, and, and government to make sure that, you know, citizens' voices are election. And we all had that the last election actually proved to be a bit more transparent than the rest. And citizens didn't actually go to the streets and we did not see violence. Uh, this is something that has spread over. This, the impact of this success has spread over and in Nigeria in the elections earlier this year. Our partner Connected Development also took the mode of what we did, the, what we did in Kenya to replicate and they received hundreds of thousands of reports from citizens of Nigeria around what was taking place during the election. And well, uh, it has not been conclusive since uh, this still the outcome is being challenged in the courts of law, but it's interesting to see that citizens were willing to speak out around what was taking place in real time, mm -hmm. and they are being linked to assistance thanks to this partner. So this and many more stories just talk about the impact of Shahidi and the power that we give to communities to document what's happening and making sure that it's not just a report, but there's response, that decision makers talk to the communities, speak back and get back to them with solutions to the challenges that they have. I imagine there they, 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 they some pushback or maybe support in, in some instances. Can you tell me a little about, about you know, instances where there's been pushback for you to deploy these tools or where you found support from, from government actors, uh, from private sector actors, and sort of what sort of impact that has you know, had for the platform itself, the kind of support that you get uh, from other players within you know, the, the governance space or wherever else where you operate. Okay, so I think one of the most challenging pushbacks that we get actually is the fact that very many countries uh, limit accessibility in the form of high costs of internet, high costs of device ownership, uh, but also the inability to, to listen, to translate these reports that are received into tangible actions, into policy changes that reflect the needs of the people. So this is this is the pushback that we get, and I'll speak broadly. I'll not I'll not point out uh, countries where we've had this. But generally, we know that some countries uh, impose higher tax mobile phone ownership. Mm -hmm. This means that the more vulnerable segments of community, like women, like persons with disability, even youth, are not able to afford phones in some instances. Right. In some of the sort, we find that there's only one mobile phone per household. So this, and it's shared amongst all the household members. So this essentially means that we're not able to get their voices on the issues that matter when called upon to do so by their community leaders. So this has been just one challenge. Uh, but also when I look at the, how these policies translate into, uh, into, into sort of citizen policies that needs of the citizens. And this is something where we've had a challenge that in some instances, uh, community organizers or even organizations, development partners, uh, collect the views of the people, well analyzed, well reported and documented. And when they put them before leaders, sometimes the leaders don't listen. And I think my call to action is leaders to, to try to listen more to the needs of the people, develop policies 
African needs. And Ushahid is one of the digital tools that is enabling this. Right. Uh, and we've had very many cases of success, but equally, we may point to a couple of instances where this has not always happened. And us, as, 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 a, as a technology organization that's enabling this participation, are constantly running programs and engaging with partners to try and inform them, educate them more about the benefits of, of doing this uh, at this approach. Uh, I want to speak to um, what uh, we've spoken earlier about uh, how people can um, better, better develop their tools, right? We've spoken about uh, they need to go to the places that, they, you know, where, where, uh, where the, to villages and, 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 and talk to the people that need those tools and sort of understand the, the environment in which they're developing those tools. But also there's also the entrepreneurial aspects of, you know, uh, of developing such tools. Do you have any word of advice for, you know, people who are starting out who have these small startups uh, and, and what it is that they need to look out for as, as developers? Okay. So I think uh, the first one, of course, I've mentioned is addressing the, the right challenge. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's one of the ways in which we're going to get product market fit. Uh, so if, if you're addressing the right challenge, when you come back to the people with a solution, it's, there's going to be that alignment, which is going to make the process of adoption easier. So I think product market fit is something constantly look for when developing a solution. And I think for entrepreneurs, yeah, constantly seek it out. And it's, it's, not, it's not a silver bullet either way because product market fit changes. Uh, just yesterday, uh, we were using horses to get around. We were, mm. <laughs> we were using uh, more uh, sort of efficient tools uh, for, for communication. And it was a product market fit back then to build a horse cart. Fast forward, we're looking at electric cars. So uh, yeah, constantly seek out and changed in response to the needs of the people. I think the other part I would like to talk about for uh, for, for entrepreneurs is uh, just the ability to to stay humble and and don't let your success get to your head. Uh, so I think we've we've seen this uh, for some tools. So one of the most uh, common examples is for uh, one of the most renowned mobile phone brands that ended up, you know. Uh, losing their, their place as the, the top one used brand global. And they, the reason is that they kept on doing what they do uh, and they were not sort of responsive to the innovation uh, needs and cycles around the world. Right. Uh, and today, uh, this mobile phone brand is, is, is almost not heard about uh, simply because they didn't do anything wrong, but as well, they didn't do anything new. The innovation cycle was 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 not something that they 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 embraced. So I think keep innovating, keep looking for ideas, keep looking for ways of improving your product, even if you have achieved some form of uh, acceptability in society. So don't don't let it get to your head. Constantly seek to improve, and I think that's that's something that uh, uh, that's something that I'd, I'd, I'd like uh, innovators out there or entrepreneurs to 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 yeah to take as as advice from myself right uh, and I so, I want to talk to you about so many things, but we've run out of time. But but you know it's, it's been such a, an amazing time talking to you and talking about the, you know this this platform that is known the world over and has been so successful in so many instances. Thank you so much for 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 talking to us today, Daniel. Thank you very much, Nathy. Uh, it's been a pleasure to to join you on this podcast and looking forward to further conversations uh, on 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 this. That concludes this episode. Don't forget 
to subscribe and review the podcast and please see the episode description for all the episodes uh, for all the places you can follow and engage with the civic tech innovation network uh, I want to uh, say a special thank you to uh, co-producer of this episode, Alizwa Jonas. Until next time, goodbye. This podcast is brought to you by Civic Tech Innovation Network in partnership with Voice of Vits.